I invite you at this time to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. We are finishing up this book of Philippians this evening. As you may recall, this, the second half of this book, Paul has been instructing us both how and why we should per, uh, pursue a number of virtues. We saw in chapter 3 that we should rejoice in the Lord and how and why we can do that. Last week we saw how we can and should pursue peace. And this evening we are now turning to this virtue of contentment. So I now ask you to turn your attention to the reading of God's holy word. Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 23. The Apostle Paul says this to us. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secrets of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brother, brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, if you think for a moment back through past seasons of your life, I would bet that there is at least one common element that ties all of them, or at least most of them, together. And that common element is discontentment. When we reflect upon this idea of discontentment, we see that it plagues us, of course, in times of, of suffering and crisis, but it also can plague us when things seem to be going well. Indeed, when you look at our celebrity culture, those who seem to have it all, worldly speaking, they are some of the most discontent, un unhappy people there is. In fact, I would imagine if we reflect upon our hearts this evening, many of our hearts are probably burdened with discontentment right now as we think about what's going on in our world, as we think about what's going on in our own lives, individually, 
I would imagine there are many things that trigger frustration, lack of joy, discontentment. You'll notice in our passage, Paul speaks twice of learning contentment. Learning contentment. According to Paul, contentment is not only something that we need to learn theoretically, but also practically, experientially, as we walk through the various seasons and difficulties of life. This was true for the apostle, and it's true for us today. But you also notice that Paul, in verse 12, speaks of learning the secret of contentment. And this word that Paul uses for secret was used in the broader first century world to refer to initiation rites into pagan religions, pagan mystery religions. Therefore, what Paul is doing here is, as he plays on this word, he's contrasting. He's contrasting the pagan, secular world's view of learning the secret of contentment and Christianity's view on learning the secret of contentment. He's telling us that his view, Christianity's view of the secret of contentment is countercultural. It goes against the grain of this world. It, it's foolishness to the Greeks, to this world. Not only in, in Paul's first century world, but even in our world today. And oftentimes the reason why we get stuck in the pigsty of, of discontentment is because we've gone to the schoolhouse of this world rather than the schoolhouse of Scripture. Therefore, let us listen in this evening as not only Paul, but ultimately the Holy Spirit teaches us, teaches us about this secret of contentment. And the first lesson in, in the class, this class on contentment, is knowing what contentment is not. We first need to know what contentment is not. And according to Paul, contentment is not based on our circumstances. Contentment is not based on our circumstances. The great lie that we're told Monday through Saturday is this very thing, that contentment is indeed found in our circumstances. If you want to be happy, just remove yourself from the difficult circumstance, and happiness will follow. Think for a moment, even this past week, how many times did you think or even, even say, if only X was different, then I would be content, then I would be happy. Our minds go down this track more than we even consciously know. But if you believe that your contentment is based on your circumstances, what you're going to soon find out is your discontentment is going to follow you into every single season of your life. The bad seasons and the good seasons. Well, if you look with me in your Bibles at verses 10 through 13, Paul, we see this very thing. Again, Paul says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you Philippians I've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You'll notice in these verses, Paul is speaking about times of suffering. He says he's been brought low, this word is the same word that he used in, in chapter 2 to refer to Christ's humiliation. 
Christ, Paul himself experienced humiliation. He was brought low. He faced hunger. He faced need. He's not trying to be exhaustive. He's saying, I've experienced suffering. He also refers to times of blessing as he speaks about abounding, facing plenty, abundance. Now, if contentment was based on circumstances, Paul would not be able to say that he learned contentment in every circumstance, especially in the times of suffering, where he was humiliated, brought low, had need. And you may be thinking, well, my life is not Paul's life. Yeah, sure, Paul may have been able to learn contentment, but he was apostle, he lived in the first century, His circumstances, his life is not my life. And true, there are, of course, differences between your life today and the Apostle Paul, but lest we think that that Paul's circumstances, Paul's life is completely irrelevant to us, let us just consider for a few moments Paul's life and the difficulties that he faced. Because particularly in, in in the times of suffering and difficulty that we struggle with contentment. So what did Paul's suffering look like? Not only in this passage, but also in the broader uh, New Testament. Well, we learn that Paul faced financial difficulties. Even in this passage, we, we see that Paul had times where he lacked food. Other times we lived, other, time, other places we read, especially in Corinthians, that he lived without shelter at times. He was poor. He had nothing, worldly speaking. He had seasons of life where he hardly had enough have money and resources to eat. He also dealt with the guilt from past sins. In 1 Timothy, uh, Paul speaks of himself as one who was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. He refers to himself as the foremost of all sinners. You can imagine the struggle that the apostle Paul dealt with as I would imagine the devil brought to mind many times these grievous and gross sins that he committed before he came to Christ. He dealt with the guilt of past sins, but he also had vocational suffering. The Apostle Paul's writing this in prison. He's not able to do what he loves to do most, go out, preach the gospel, plant churches. In fact, we read in Philippians chapter 1 that there are other Christian ministers using this opportunity, Paul's imprisonment, as a means of affliction for Paul, to discourage Paul. They're viewing their relation to Paul in a competitive way. They see this as a way to get ahead of Paul. Paul had vocational suffering. We also see that he faced rejection from believers. And this can be one of the hardest forms of suffering that we face in this life. If you look with me in verses 14 and 15, Paul says, yet, he's again speaking to the Philippian congregation, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, it's a region where Philippi was, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. The implication of this is Paul received a lot of rejection letters. I think as we reflect upon some of these difficulties that the Apostle Paul faced, we can relate to these things. 
financial difficulties. Phys oh, and I left out physical ailments. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul speaks of this thorn in the flesh. Now, no one really knows exactly what this is, but it very likely could have been chronic physical pain. And he pleaded with the Lord to remove it, but in God's secret providence, he chose to leave it. So as I said, I think we all can relate to what Paul faced. Financial difficulties, physical ailments, vocational troubles, rejection from believers, and the temptation towards discontentment in the midst of these things. However, in this passage, Paul tells us that even in the midst of these circumstances, Paul learned the secret of contentment. So clearly, our contentment is not based on our circumstances. It's not based on our circumstances. Well, if contentment is not circumstantial, then what is it? We'll now turn to answer this very question. What is contentment? Well, verse 13, Paul points us in, in, the, in the direction of his answer is he tells us that our contentment is found in Christ. That is, in union with Christ. That union that I just spoke of, our, our catechism just spoke of, as the Spirit brings to us not only Christ, but his benefits, unites us to Christ himself. That's the answer. That's the secret of contentment. If you look with me at verse 13, Paul says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now when Paul says through him, he's really saying in him, in Christ, in union with Christ. It's in union with Christ that we have every reason to be content, no matter what the circumstances are in our life. You may wonder, well, what about our union with Christ provides this, this sort of contentment? Well, there's two aspects to this union with Christ that provide this, this contentment. It's the Lord's provision and the Lord's strength. The Lord's provision and the Lord's strength. If you look with me, uh, go down a few verses of verse 19. Paul, speak, speaking to those who are united to Christ... He says, those who are united to Christ have this promise. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, there is a material, physical aspect, I think, in Paul's reference to this promise. And that as long as the Lord has ordained you to walk this earth, he will provide every physical, material need that you stand in need of. But notice that Paul says need, not want. I think that's where uh, we get into trouble. But more importantly, I think Paul has in mind our Lord's spiritual provision. Now, the spiritual provision he has granted to us uh, for past needs and, and future needs. God has and will continue to provide every spiritual need that we stand in need of. We do indeed have many needs, don't we? We, need, we have a sin problem. We need our sins to be forgiven. As we saw in our reading of the law, we need an alien righteousness, a righteousness that we cannot provide ourselves. We need the resurrection of the body 
Paul says only those who have resurrected bodies in 1 Corinthians 15 will inherit the new creation. We need the power to produce good works, this fruit that that, uh, Jesus speaks of. And we see that God has supplied all of these needs by virtue of our union with Christ. In fact, if you recall back to chapter 3, we saw this. We saw that we're justified in Christ. In Christ, we have this, this righteousness. In Christ, we not only suffer in this life, but we have the resurrection power of Christ. And we're looking forward to that day when our union will be consummated, as we will have bodies that mirror the very body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these are some of the greatest blessings. These are the greatest blessings that one can possess in this life. Christ and all his benefits. The Lord has richly provided us with the greatest blessings of all by virtue of our union with Christ. This is the answer to our contentment. I hope illustrate this. Imagine you are shopping for a new computer and you are convinced that uh, MacBooks are the way to go and you're specifically shopping for a MacBook. And of course your goal in buying a new computer is contentment. Right, that's pretty reasonable. You want to buy a computer that you're going to be content with. And as you're shopping, do you rest your contentment in the computer's outer casing? The color, silver, gray, white, whatever the, col- the colors are? Or do you place your contentment in the hardware, the, the software, the hard drive? I think we'd all say the latter. We're primarily looking for a computer that functions well. The hardware, the software. The outer casing is really secondary. It's inconsequential at the end of the day. If you have a, the store's out of a silver MacBook that you're really wanting, and they have a silver PC, I think we'd all take the non-silver MacBook over the silver PC. Now in this illustration, the hardware of the computer is, is our spiritual blessings in Christ. And the outer casing is circumstances. Now, according to Paul, our contentment is found in the hardware. It's not found in the outer casings. That's just secondary. That's inconsequential at the end of the day. We need a computer that runs well. Now, when we're going through difficult circumstances, circumstances that are less than ideal, contentment does not mean that we don't try to alter our circumstances. It's not as if we just kind of throw up our hands and say, my contentment is not found in my circumstances, therefore I can't really seek to change anything. That's not, that's not what Paul is referring to. Rather, he's saying that we first need to find our contentment in the hardware, in these blessings that we have by virtue of our union with Christ. It's only after we've done that then we can try to switch out the outer casing, switch out our circumstances. But if we don't start by finding our contentment in the right place, we are going to make regrettable decisions. And we're going to have discontentment follow us for the rest of our life, wherever we go. So we see that our contentment is found in these blessings, the blessings the Lord has richly provided us by virtue of our union with Christ. 
But I also said that our union with Christ also grants us strength. Strength to actually find your contentment in these blessings. Apart from the Lord's strength, we will not recognize the greatness of what we have. Apart from his strength, we will view these blessings, which are greater than anything one could possess earthly, as trinkets. You know, boys and girls, it's almost as if, you know, imagine that you were given $1,000 to do whatever you wanted with. You could buy whatever you wanted with with this $1,000. Someone gave you this $1,000 and you got it and you thought it was Monopoly money. And Monopoly money, yeah, it might be fun, but you can't, I mean, according to the rules of Monopoly, you can't, you can't have extra money and so you just throw it away. What, what do you need Monopoly money for? Well, in a similar way, apart from the Lord's strength, we're going to think of our blessings in Christ as monopoly money, when it's really $1,000 of real money. We need the Lord's strength to actually help us realize the greatness of what we've received in Christ. So again, if you look with me in verse 13, Paul speaks about this strength. He says, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Now this, as you probably will recognize, is one of the most misquoted verses in, in our New Testament. It's not primarily about uh, God giving Tim Tebow the strength to win the football game. Rather, it's probably more applied to, uh, more applicable to Tim Tebow losing the game and finding contentment even in, law, in, in his loss or being cut from the NFL squad. It has nothing to do with, with those things. It has to do with contentment in all circumstances. That's what Paul's referring to here. I can do, uh, the Lord himself strengthen us, strengthens us to find contentment no matter what we are going through. Now this word that Paul uses for contentment is actually the word that was used in, in his first century world, uh, especially in Stoic philosophy, which was one of the, the uh, secular philosophies of the day, to refer to self-sufficiency. And according to this view, self-sufficiency was one of the highest and greatest virtues one could attain to. Because it, it meant that you were no longer dependent upon others. You had a certain emotional detachment from circumstances, and therefore you had it in yourself to live with this sort of contentment. The self-sufficiency to be detached from others and from uh, from circumstances enough to find contentment in and of yourselves. Paul here is turning that meaning on his head. He's saying, no, you're not self-sufficient when it comes to contentment. You're completely dependent upon Christ. Your sufficiency is found in Christ. Do you recall back in chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, as Paul speaks about our expectation in, in this Christian life, and he says that we not only know Christ in suffering, but simultaneously we know Christ in the resurrection, in his resurrection power. Therefore, it's particularly in, in the difficult seasons of life, right? When the circumstances are, are not easy, we're completely unsatisfied with the outer casing of our computer, that the hardware is magnified, right? Christ himself and the blessings that we have in Christ is magnified in in a special way, in a way that might not be there in, during the comfortable seasons of life. 
A great example of what Paul is, is teaching us here about contentment is found in the short minor prophet Habakkuk. And Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4 on a number of occasions to prove justification by faith. And 2.4 says this. He's contrasting the, the wicked one and, and the righteous one. He says, behold, the wicked, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. You're left wondering, well, okay, what does it look like to live by faith? And if you turn to the next chapter, in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, we see exactly what it looks like to live by faith. In the words of Paul, to find contentment because we are united to Christ. Verses 17 through 19 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places. What Habakkuk is saying is, even though if everything in his life goes south, and for um, someone who lived in the ancient Near East of his day, these are some of the worst things that could happen. The figs not blossoming, the fruits not on the vines, the, the olive crop is failing, the flocks die. I mean, it couldn't get worse than this. He says, even if those things happen, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in my salvation. I'll find my contentment in these blessings I have in the Messiah to come. Which really is what Paul is saying to us in Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, our contentment is found in our union with Christ as the Lord richly provides for us these great, incomprehensible blessings and the strength to actually find our contentment in those blessings. Well, what does this kind of contentment produce in our life? Paul now turns and really tells us what the fruit of contentment is, how contentment, what contentment leads to. And he says that a content heart is a heart that is others-orientated. It focuses upon other people. So if you look with me in your Bibles at verses 14 through 17, Paul here is now turning to the topic of giving. And he says to these Philippians, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. We see here that the Philippians were first concerned about Paul. Regardless if they had the resources, they were concerned about Paul. Yet they, when all their churches failed Paul, they gave self-sacrificially uh, to, to the apostle in a time of great need. And so we, I would like to briefly reflect upon both the giver and the receiver, and how a heart of contentment reacts when 
there in each of these situations. So first, you see that Paul is on the receiving end here, right? He's receiving this gift from the Philippians. And he has legitimate material needs, right? He has needs, but yet he says, I really don't have needs because I'm content. I'm content in Christ. And you'll see that he's very thankful, right? He's very thankful for this gift. It came at a very timely uh, time in his life. But his focus is not on the gift. His focus is on the blessing that the giver gets by giving. His focus is on the Philippians, the fruit that they receive by giving. You'll see in verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Because he's content, he's not anxiously anxiously thinking about this need that needs to be met and what's going to happen if it's not met. He, he's content. Therefore, he's, he's freed to be able to really focus upon the blessing of the giver. You know, as Jesus himself says, more blessed to give than to receive. I think oftentimes for us, it can be uh, difficult, almost more difficult for us to receive help than, than to give it. And here we would I think, learn and be taught that being willing for other people to help us, not just financially, but even of their their time and their resources, uh, is a way in which we serve them. Because if we don't let them to help, we don't allow them to help us, we're shortchanging the blessing that the Lord intends to give to them, as, as they themselves are blessed by giving. Well, now let's briefly consider the giver. So what happens with the giver, which here is the Philippian church. Uh, So we know here, as as I just got done saying, they gave generously to Paul. But 2 Corinthians 8 may fill in some some of the gaps here. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul speaks of the giving practices of the churches of Macedonia. Now, Philippi was a city within this region of Macedonia. Therefore, we don't know for sure, but the Philippian congregation may be one of the churches that Paul is referring to, uh, Paul's referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to what Paul says in the first three verses of this chapter. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. You'll have to wonder, well, where does such counterintuitive giving? I mean, these are people who are experiencing extreme poverty, yet they gave beyond their means. How did this happen? Well, you go a few verses later, in verses 8 and 9, we read about Christ. Christ became poor, that we might be rich in him. And thus, it was out of the riches, the riches that these believers had in Christ and the contentment that they had because of these riches that they were able to give beyond their means. You see that the content giver is not anxiously stingy with their resources because they realize their contentment is not found in their resources. Their contentment is found in the riches that they have in Christ and therefore they're able to focus Focus on giving sacrificially to those around them. Therefore, as you can see, both the content giver and the content receiver don't have their eyes upon themselves, 
have their eyes upon others as they seek to bless them. Well, as we now wrap up not only this sermon, but, but this book, this book of Philippians, I hope that we all can truly take to heart some of these virtues that Paul has laid out before us, virtues such as, as humility, joy, uh, peace, and now this evening, contentment. Therefore, I think it's fitting that Paul would conclude this book with a benediction that reminds us once again of why it is that we can display these virtues in our life. Paul says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let us pray. O Lord, may you remind us often of the many blessings that are ours by virtue of our union with your ascended Son. And may you also give us the strength to not lose sight of these great blessings that are ours that will never be taken away from us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.